You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. There's nothing more inspiring to me than a human who's willing to show up in the world unapologetically as themselves. That's what I get from today's podcast guest, Reggie Hubbard. Reggie is a political activist and the founder of Active Peace Yoga, a community devoted to authentic expression, creative freedom, and viewing yoga as a discipline, not an activity. Reggie has taught elected officials, activists, and people from all walks of life the wisdom of miracles that exist in the commitment to personal practice and well-being as a foundation rather than an afterthought. He has over 700 hours of teacher training with teachers including Amy Apolity, Rod Stryker, and Faith Hunter. In today's episode, Reggie describes his journey of finding yoga and how it transformed him from a reactive East Coast hothead into an example of how to live yoga in challenging circumstances. He also shares his views on discipline and how he came to be comfortable in his own skin. I hope that by listening, you feel inspired to share and embody yoga in a way that feels most authentic to you and that you gain a tiny bit of freedom from worrying about what others think of your work. Let's jump right into the episode and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the podcast, Reggie. Thank you. Happy to be here and lovely. I love what you're doing. Love. I did some research on you. So shout out to Haley. Haley, thank you for putting us in contact. I'm delighted to be here and be of service. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey and how you got into yoga and why you decided to become a teacher. Yeah. So I've got more, uh, I've got one of the more non-traditional uh, yoga paths and stories. I mean, a lot of people say that, but mine's legit. Like, um, I started practicing yoga to not curse out my boss, like real talk. I, I had a really abusive, toxic work situation in Denver, Colorado um, that was locally wasn't low key. Um, like we worked with a lot of um, youth of color and they loved the kids, but treated me like garbage. Right. And so I was just like, this is whew, right. And so I had moved to Colorado from the East Coast and um Sometimes I'm so East Coast, it hurts, right? So like, if it was, I'd be like, what's your problem? You know what I mean? Like, you know, we can talk to each other like that out here. In like the Midwest, Mountain West, people get all in their feels and get their feelings hurt sometimes when you ask a direct question. So I was just like, you know, I really want to, ooh, I really can't do this because if I say anything harsh, I'll get fired on some passive aggressive. And so what can I do to not get fired? I was like, well, this yoga thing seems to work. And so I had taken about 20 asana classes prior to my professional purgatory is what I call it. It's more of a chrysalis because it gave me the gift of the practice that I now have. And I started going to sunrise and sunset asana just like six days a week and um, went to asana, work sucked and like went to asana and went to bed. Right. And so basically what I didn't know was happening was that it was the quickening. Right. It was just like, you know, I remember one of the first times I read um, one of Iyengar's books. It was basically practice yields results quick. You know, basically, if you do it every day, like things like manifest quickly. And I remember reading that and being like, whatever, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, 
when I got fired via text message from that job, I told you it was terrible. Yeah, when I got fired via text message, they asked for an exit interview. I was like, you all know fairly well, you know, good and well that you probably don't need to have an exit interview. I was like, but I do want to thank you. And they're like, for what? I was like, I want to thank you for how poorly you treated me because you gave me the gift of adversity and how to learn how to deal with adversity with grace. And so then after that, I called my mom and I was like, this yoga stuff is real, man. Like, you know, I just got fired via text message and said, thank you. Like, what is happening? All right. So, right. So that was how um, I knew that this was something different and something special. Um, and I never really had an intention of being a teacher because I'm not a former dancer. I mean, like I'm not a former gym like I'm not a petite like yeah I'm just not that type and so I didn't view teaching as accessible to me necessarily because I didn't see me in teachers like I went to teach I went to classes and was sometimes doing my own thing because they're like and then do compass and then all this other stuff I'm just like I used to weigh 300 pounds. My hips don't work like that, you know, like whatever. And so um, never really saw myself as a teacher, honestly, um, but started my teacher training um, during the middle of the uh, resistance to the former president. Right. So moved back to Washington, D.C. in 2017. Um because I, I used to work for Bernie Sanders and all the things, right? So when Bernie didn't win and then Madam Hillary didn't win, I was like, this ain't it for me, man. So like, so I went back and dove into the political fray and needed something to balance out like that thing, right? So like, I was like in it, I was like, so how do I carve out time to take care of myself? Oh, I've been thinking about teacher training for a while, so why not? So I did my 200-hour training while we were flipping the House of Representatives. I did my 300-hour training as one of the lead strategists for impeachment. And so I didn't, go, you know, no shade on people who did this, but I didn't go to Bali and get my teacher training at a resort. Like, you know what I mean? I did my teacher training while in the middle of ridiculous political circumstances and had to be like the piece in a swirling circumstance. And so when the pandemic hit, I had planned on going on like yogic, like Shangri-La, right? So I'd gone to the Himalayan Institute and like I was in Boulder, Colorado with Amy Apolity, who's a lovely friend and dear teacher, friend of homegirl in the struggle. And um, pandemic hit. And I shared this with you in pre-production, like um, I'm the only person in a group of 500 hour level teachers that when the pandemic hit, like the day that everyone in America bought all the toilet paper and Lysol, like I went into um, Sprout and was joking with people. I was like, so why are people buying all this toilet paper for a respiratory ailment? You know what I mean? So like lighthearted and everyone's freaking out and stuff. And we were in a Sanskrit training um, in Boulder. And so I'm lighting incense, walking around the room. I bought flowers, put them in the front. I'm the only one out. And then it occurred to me, I was just like, oh, hmm, maybe, you know, maybe it's time for you to share this piece, right? So the name of my teaching practice is called Active Peace. It was born of the pandemic um, to be of service to people who were losing their mind, not only in the political space, but just writ large, because a section of studentship, like I've taught members of Congress and I, t and I teach union folks, right? Like, so I've taught everything from like the squad to like members of IATSE who've never even heard of yoga. In fact, when I first offered asana to them, I didn't call it yoga because I thought it would freak them out. Like over the course of the pandemic, active peace was born, but the practice was born because I had the peace to share. That's beautiful. I'd love to hear about 
what your teaching is like, and I'm sure that it totally depends on the group that's in front of you, but mm -hmm. are there any elements that you include every class and what do you prioritize in your classes? Yeah, so I predominantly, so I have like two strains, right? So like one is predominantly Hatha, like Pranayama, like so we breathe and move, we count the breath because people forget to breathe and like I love a good vinyasa class but I'm also an experienced practitioner right so like sometimes in vinyasa people go from thing to thing to thing they don't think about injury they don't think about breath and it becomes what I call mediocre gymnastics right so like it becomes like a competition when in fact from my tradition and from my experience asana is meant to shift energy and to give the body proper nourishment of breath and flexibility and those sorts of things so you can be more at home in your skin Right. So that's that's what I use asana for predominantly. So uh, I, I teach a hatha based style where we focus on breath. And so so we, we work on joint mobility. And um, so I do like since a lot of people are like sedentary and like hunt over their desks, we do a lot of shoulder work and wrist work and fingers to basically offer alignment back to elements of the body that aren't really considered. Um, and, you know, most importantly, come up the body and people are feeling so good in their body. The end of the class, I typically always say, now you feel so good. What do you need? Right. So I've we've done all this warm up for 40 minutes. Um, my goal as a teacher is to get you in touch with the you shoulds and the odds and the I can'ts and all these other things. You're feeling so good. You've been breathing hard and beautiful for 40 minutes. Take that vitality and serve the body in the way that you need to. I can't predict that. I'm not a level of my I'm not at a level of my practice where I'm clairvoyant. But you know what you need. I've given you the tools and warmed up in you the freedom to explore. So explore. So alignment based, pranayama based, um, and then exploring freedom. And, and a compliment I often get is like, I've never felt that free in an asana class. And I'm just like, A, I'm sorry. And B, you're welcome. So it sounds like there's kind of a, a path towards awakening some of their own intuition yeah, and their sure. own relationship and connection and ability to listen to the sure. bodies. I love it. I have a same, the a very similar pattern at the end of my classes. I always have a free free form time. I think it's difficult for most people to explore on their own in the beginning of a class. But at the end of a class, it's the perfect time to introduce this is like really ultimately this is what you want to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we're going. Right, right. So you talk a lot about approaching yoga as a discipline instead of an activity. Yeah. Can you tell me more about the difference between the two and why that's so important to you? Yeah. So I know this is a podcast, but I mean, I'll, I'll share this for you since we're seeing one another. Like, so these beads, um, when people, that's a nice necklace. I now I pray with these daily. Right. So like the second I wake up, feet hit the ground. I usually have like a Tibetan singing bowl that's near my feet. And so like I'll play that 108 times. Like I'll toss beads for 108 times. I'll have a silent sit and then I'll engage with the world. Right. So like like that level of discipline, when my mind, when I leave my room, I'm already in like a meditative space. Right. So whatever I encounter, I've already put in probably 25 minutes 
of like practice. And then throughout the day, you know, um, I'll have a sit or I'm in a relatively contemplative space. Now I'm in the process of writing a book and doing all these other things. Um, so I'll sit and play with my Tibetan singing bowls for a while just to cultivate discernment. Um, so all the things that people breeze over in a 200 hour training. So I live those things like self-study is an integral part of my personal practice. That's part of what I'm talking about in the Western aesthetic. Um, yoga is the asana piece when to some people chanting is yoga, like mantra is yoga, right? Meditation is the purpose of asana quite candidly. Um, but so I try and incorporate all of these things in a disciplined manner day by day by day, because what I did know in the story that I shared with you earlier is that disciplined approach is what allowed me in 10 months to go from wanting to curse out my boss to thanking her for firing me, me the lesson of wisdom. So what you're really talking about is a Vyasa. It's that commitment over a long period of time. Yeah. And talk to me about your thoughts about yoga as an activity, because I I think I have a picture in my head, but I'd love for you to paint it for me. Yeah. So I live in the D.C. metro area, which is hyper competitive on a good day. And so asana class would be the same group shows up at six o'clock and they do the same flow. Um, There's always that one person that tries to hold headstand longer than the other person. All of these things where the contortionist aspect of the practice and the competitive aspect of the practice is detrimental to the fruits of the practice. Right. At least from my experience, like I also don't throw shade at people who do that. If that's what you need to do for you. Cool. Just I, I, if I offer different safeguards to explore different things, but you know, not your teacher. So, um, that's what, that's what I mean by that. Like, so the, the competitive aspect, the fitting it into your schedule. Oh, I'm going to do for there are some people that I know who are like, man, I haven't practiced in a year and a half. Huh? What? So to me, that shows whether it be the studio aesthetic or the fact that, you know, whatever it is like yoga for you is an activity as opposed to something that is your lifestyle. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. I told you I'm healing a sprained ankle. So my asana practice is quite light these days, but my meditation practice is lifted up. My, 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 my japa practice is up. Right? There are other aspects to the practice that you can do. So when you view yoga as activity, oh man, studios are closed. I'm not going to do it. So you don't do it for 18 months. Yikes. Um, um, whereas if you view it as discipline um, and, you know, Yoga also teaches you flexibility, no pun intended, with the circumstances of life as they manifest. So healthy ankle, I'm on crutches, but I can do legs up the wall and have my heart open to increase my breath and like relax, which is also yoga. Yeah. To me, what it makes me think of is yoga as integrated into our identity. I'm a practitioner versus I practice yoga. Absolutely. It's something that is who is, is it's an integral part of who I am. Like, you know, I used to work on Capitol Hill and I would show up with mala beats out. You know what I mean? Just like, oh, nice necklaces. Thank you. Um, and so like, like these are the things I prayed over to enter this hostile meeting. Right. You know what I mean? So like that level people are like, oh, I can't believe your beads are out of there. It's not, to, it's not demonstrative. Like this is actually, I'm trying to protect myself. This place is crazy. Right. So, so you know, the other thing Ian has done for me is that it, it allowed me to be 
when I when I flipped the switch and became like teacher to the movement and all these other things, because I was so consistent as a practitioner and people are like, what is up with this brother? man?" I'm like, he's just mellow the whole time. I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe can you teach this to my staff? Right. And that's how it happened. Right. They were like, oh, you're so consistently peaceful. Like, can you teach me? Can you teach my staff how to navigate this situation? I think that connection to our own practice is absolutely the key to being a good teacher, being a great teacher, even being a decent teacher. It mm-hmm. really has to come from there because there's this instinct always to look outside of ourselves to another authority. Right. And there's some benefit to that for sure when you're first starting out and there's benefit to measuring or comparing what you're experiencing on the inside to what other people are saying they're experiencing. Absolutely. But you can't only look to the outside right. and primarily really, I think what the yoga tradition teaches is to go in like the, that's the first place of authority. Right. And I'll also share that um, in my 300 hour training, like I was, I know it now because I see it in retrospect, but I was cultivating the stock active piece. Like, like when people like I'm going to like festivals now and like virtual and I will be going to like real festivals and stuff. So they know when I show up that this style is coming. Right. But when my, my 300 hour class, um, people were just like, oh, this is unique. I'm just like, yeah, I don't teach Surya A's and B stuff like that just doesn't serve me. Right. And it doesn't serve like the type of being that I am. And I remember at one point, (laughs) one of my teachers was like, what would you do if someone came into your class and was like, you know, I just don't feel comfortable here. I would, I was like, I would put my hand over my heart, look at them and be like, well, perhaps I'm not your teacher. And they were like, you wouldn't do that. I was like, bet me. Right. I mean, because I, and I was like, I, I would go like this. I would be super compassionate about it, but like my style isn't for everybody. And it's not a reflection on me, but I think to your point, like I was honest and true with what I was offering. And had I compromised even a little bit when the pandemic hit, when everything shifted, I would not have been rock solid to offer immediately. So like when the pandemic hit, I really wasn't teaching. Subculture didn't work for me like because I worked on the Hill and um, it just wasn't like monetarily beneficial. Right. So when the pandemic hit, I had done a lot of stuff electronically anyway. So I just picked up and like started teaching online and um, I didn't have the whole. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I put this thing on social media. I was like, listen, if you want to kick it, let's get it. And like more people than I thought would be interested were interested. And so like that allowed me to be of service um, because it was integral to who I was and what I was offering. Like I didn't second guess and be like, oh, well, what about this? What about this? I was like, no, this is the only medium that we got. Let's go. Like as opposed to, oh, this isn't perfect. And I apologize. I didn't make apologies for this. Like I shifted my teaching style to be more energetically focused and more focused on cues. I, I teach differently in person than I do online, um, but I shifted given the circumstances, which is also what yoga teaches us. So you were able to really show up as yourself. You were able to show up authentically without apology. Yeah. And that's so beautiful and also so rare. <laughs> I wonder if you have any thoughts about why so many yoga teachers struggle to feel that they're good enough to yeah. just be themselves. Right. Well, one, it's not encouraged. So it takes a lot of, it takes some stones to say that. 
right? And it's like, look, this is me. This is what I offer. Like, I mean, like I wear hoodies and Kango hats and and like parachute pants. That's where I'm at. Um, if you don't like it, great. So I I think first of all that it's not encouraged. Number one. Number two, I think that the way that yoga teachers are taught, it's more recitation as opposed to creation, right? So the way I was taught and the way the circumstances forced me, like I was like, oh, these are the circumstances. I must create to this circumstance. Like, so like if you're taught to recite or regurgitate a script, of them you haven't been trained to, number two, you don't necessarily have the, the, the confidence to be like, oh, hmm, I know what to do here. Like, it's not about the asana, it's about equanimity. Like, you know, it's like, so we aren't taught necessarily as teachers to have like sadhana towards abhyasa to get so enmeshed in our practice that that is the source to your point earlier. So and I, I've done a fair amount of 200 hour training and I'm probably gonna be leading more like direct head teacher training in the fall. I will teach people that you are the source of your teaching. Like these other things, you need to read the books, you need to understand contraindications, you, but you also need to get into a rhythm of your practice so that you can draw from it. So one of the things that um, in the little sangha that, that are cooler that I've created is that we talk very candidly about our lived experience and people are like, oh my God, you're so honest. I'm like, what's gonna be, right? Like, I'm not gonna sit here and talk about, oh, my friend said this, cause that doesn't resonate. You know, whereas if I'm just like, and I'm always very honest, I'm like, okay, so if a teacher comes up to you and says, I have it all figured out, turn around, walk briskly at first and then run like because what it is is just a student that has a little bit more experience about some things than others right so like your studentship informs your teaching and your the reason i say discipline is like people don't like the connotation of this word but you know yogic practice should breed discipleship like, like the dis discipline, the disciple is like derivative of discipline, right? So you should be so disciplined in your practice as an adherent to the truths of the practice that it just emanates from you. But that teachers aren't taught that, right? So I had the blessing of being like Faith, Faith Hunter was my 200 hour teacher. I'll never forget this. The first class that we had in 200 hour, she essentially benevolently put her tiny little foot and my metaphorical behind and pushed me off the ledge and was like, Reggie, teach us Surya A. I was like, we just got here. And so that was good training because now the other thing I would offer is that I have a, like every class I offer, like I have notes, like I'll have like things that I want to like consider. But sometimes more often than not, I'll ask my students, I'm like, what do you need? Like I'm here for you. And so many times what they offer is not at all what I wrote down on my on my thing. So that faith style has given me the confidence to be like, oh, this plan that I spent an hour on, I'm not going to use that today. So I've got to come up with something for 75 minutes. But having the confidence to do that. And the, the last thing I'll share is I used to be a musician. I was a jazz musician. So you got to improv sometimes. Absolutely. It's so interesting what you're saying, what I'm hearing from you is this juxtaposition between take the practice really seriously so you can take yourself less seriously. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Because it just seems like so many teachers are overthinking everything. Absolutely. And that's why they're not willing to let go of their plan and their notes. Right. right. 
it's actually because they care so dang much. Right. But somehow that caring has gotten rigid. Yeah. Instead of being open. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, this is probably more Buddhist than yogic, but rumor has it that um, Buddha was a yogi. Right. So like um, you you can hold beliefs strongly, but right, be lightly attached to that. Right. So, yeah, you did a plan. Um, someone really has a need to open their shoulders and you had everything focused on the lower triangle. OK, so can you force an, uh, an opportunity for shoulders in there? Right. So like, you know, like like you still have your plan, but like you can't be as, you know, that doesn't serve anybody. So tell me, Reggie, have you always been really authentic and forthright or was is there a journey that you took to get to this place where you feel so comfortable with yourself? Yeah. So yes and no. Right. So when I was super young, I was very, 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 like very, very shy. And one of my earliest memories from um, adolescence or pre-adolescence is um, Becky Meadows, bless her heart. So I used to be picked on so much that I would cry. And um, Becky, one day, it was a Mr. Pendleton size, like I said, it's like right here. She's like, Reggie, we need to talk. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, so are you going to let them make fun of you? Are you going to stand up for yourself and like be who you are? And she approached like the the question was given to me in a logical framework. It was it was given to me in like an either or. Oh, I'm gonna do this, <laughs> right? So like from that day on, essentially, I was just like, I don't really care what y'all have to say. I'm gonna do this, right? So I remember making that hardcore decision in the sixth grade, um, and then that has just kind of just um, mushroomed over time is because it's not easy to be a black man in any aspects of our culture. And so if you do not have that fierce willingness to just be who you are, like the system is designed to destroy or diminish you anyway. If you don't have like that, I would call like raw love of self, then you're going to be overly angry, miserable, depressed, of which I've been all of these things. But yoga and uh, meditative practice have given me like the catalyst in touch with my younger self. So like to make a very long story short, um, adolescence was a beautiful example of me doing me, right? You know, like I was a smart black kid in a uh, suburban high school. Um, in high school, I ran for class president and won three years in a row, you know, Everyone called me Jesse Jackson because like Jesse, you know what I mean? I was like the black president, right? So like everyone called me Jesse Jackson back in the day. Um, and as I got older, I started taking on the burdens of society, right? I started taking on, you can't do this. You're just not smart enough, blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that they tell, you know, marginalized groups. So whether that be black or women or LGBT, like like all, all the stuff they tell us. I started internalizing that. Um, yogic practice allowed me to take that heat and transmute it alchemically into tapas, into tejas, you know what I mean? And to just be like, okay, so this fire is not going anywhere. It just doesn't have to be destructive, right? And so that fire in the belly, which we know from my chakra um, understanding is you, like like that fire in the is you, it's your self-expression, like it's, it, it, it's, it's Agni, like, like, like it's fire. So like that is not a bad thing. Like using it, like fire can be a creative force or a destructive force. And yoga has given me the tools. Meditation has given me the tools to keep it creative and be like brilliant 
but not be like toxic. One of the themes that we've touched on just a little bit, but maybe we could dive into a little bit more is making yoga classes accessible to people who don't like you didn't see yourself represented as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of people out there who are like, oh, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. I'm not thin. I'm not athletic. What are your main tools for making your classes feel more inclusive? One is humor. Um, I'm the king of dad jokes. One thing I say is like when I do um, spend time looking like this, like texting or typing or whatever, like the only things that should look like this are Tyrannosaurus Rex, or like if you're in the thriller video of Michael Jackson, like that's the only reason you should look like this, right? So like people, huh, like that joke, everyone laughs at that, right? So I, I try and get people like light. My pedagogy is like, once you're light, then I can introduce more complex stuff. Right. So like if you're laughing, okay, balance on one leg, close your eyes. Right. So you're already like you don't even think about it because you're already elevated in light. So I, I use humor. Um I chose the Hatha style um because it's asana to asana, focus on breath and alignment, as opposed to and you know, I do teach, I mean I one of the patron saints of active peace yoga, there are two of them. One is Jimi Hendrix, one is Prince, right? So like I teach a Prince class every so often that I have a purple crushed velvet cape, sequins jacket, leather pants. We do like handstands and headstands and all the wild stuff, right? So like we get down in that class, right? So that's like wild and free. That is like a special event. The other classes are Hatha, like alignment-based. In some vinyasa classes and teachers love my vinyasa teachers, but y'all get more caught up in the sequence and not noticing if people are keeping up with the sequence. Like that's very alienating. That's super alienating. Whereas like if I'm like, okay, we're going to inhale into chair pose, exhale out, inhale, exhale. Like it gives people a little bit of motion. We align breath and movement, which is true vinyasa, right? And it makes it accessible. So we'll, so what I'll do is I'll do like a basic set. And then the next set or two, um, I think of it, it's like yogic hit training, right? So we'll do like the same pose three times with breath and all these other things. Um, by the third time, you may go from chair to revolved half moon, but we've warmed you up for it. Like I have to be focused on making it accessible. I have like, I'll give you a perfect example. I taught um, a union yesterday, IATSE, and I kept saying, engage your core. And this guy didn't know what that meant. It was a beautiful experience. And so I was like, look, so I basically like stood in front of the camera and showed my belly. I was like, look, so now you get to see my huge belly, whatever. I was like, so this is not engaged. This is engaged, not is not is so that was good for me because even something which everyone talks about engaging your core but like loved them calling me out because it kept me rooted in a beginner's mind you know buddhism talks a lot about beginner's mind right so like that was good for me so i always i, I every class i offer in my weekly schedule is one class is for beginners specifically for that because it keeps me rooted and even in like the more advanced classes I teach, it balances me out having been with beginners. So like humor, alignment, like going from pose to pose, and then we can flow at the end. Um, but like the beginning is like pose to pose to pose, um, focus on the breath to loosen the body soft, and then freedom. 
Like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard I've never felt that free in my body. I've never felt that free to do what I want. Why, if like, if you as a teacher aren't giving your students freedom to explore their energy or their body, what are you doing? I think that there are, you know, there are trainings and styles of yoga that are more control oriented. And, um, and bless them. I mean, I learned I learned in one of them. Like, you know, what I mean, like I, I um, was a strict student of Dharma Mitra. Love Sri. I love Sri Dharma Mitra. And I that is why I the Hatha container is why is, is from that. Like that's discipline and structure. And, you know, this as well as I do structure freedom arises. I mean, that's just such a, a beautiful one of the beautiful lessons from our on the mat practice that we can take with us into the rest of our lives so that it's not this separation, you know, like right. this activity versus this lifestyle. I have one more question for you. Yeah. Thinking about yoga teacher trainings, and we know that there's a huge variety. Some are really excellent and incredible. Some of them are maybe more thrown together or taught by teachers who shouldn't be teaching them. There's just such a variety. If you could personally influence yoga teacher trainings all around the world, mm -hmm. what would be your top priority? What would you want to influence or change? Two things, um, which I think are uh, part and parcel, one and the same. One is rooting people in authentic expression of self. So starting very early with like faith did for me, you can't teach unless you teach. And like she, we had to organize classes and do all these other things on our own. And so like that, that's another reason why me building my teaching practice has been kind of easy um, because I was forced to do it. So radical authenticity from the beginning, like who are you and getting people to notice who they are, warts and all. The other part of that, which I think is a part and parcel is service, you know, seva, like from the beginning, like yoga, like I, a certain at like a certain percentage of all of the donations from active peace goes directly back to charity. Right. Like, so for me, I don't even call my yoga practice a business. I call it a service. Um, yes, there is a monetary aspect. Sure. Like, because we live in a system that requires that to some extent, but I don't view it as a business. I view it as a service. I view it as a chance to help people along the way. I view teaching as a service and treat it as a service, radical authenticity and a focus on service from the jump. Like, so whether it be karma or seva, which for me are two different things, but like um, at the from the beginning, as opposed to, like I said, going and no shade on people to do this. But like if you get your teacher training at a destination, you are more inclined to view your teacher training as not integral. At least it'll be more tough to integrate it. Right. Right. Whereas I did my teacher training in the fight. Like, so, and from that, I chose to serve. I was like, so this is helping me, you, you know, you try this. Like I say this to my students. I'm like, the cues I give you are the same cues I give myself. Right. So when I'm in a meeting and someone says something that pisses me off, I'm like, and I, I feel my face get squinchy and my forehead get hot. I'm like, okay, shoulders back and down and nose, exhale out the nose. Like that meditation cue was because in the heart of the impeachment fight, someone said something to me one day and I was about ready to be like, like they, that cue, I embodied it and was like, oh, hmm, power. Yeah. I love it. Tell me a little bit more about the difference between karma and seva. 
Karma is more action, right? You have to do something, right? Seva is the focus on service, can be interrelated. Karma is action, like I'm going to do this. I talk to a lot of, uh, I mean, I'm in a lot of Buddhist sanghas where people are like, I've studied the Dharma forever. I'm like, but what are you doing, <laughs> right? Like do something with requires action. Seva to me is action, but like to me, it's not the same. I imagine karma is action in alignment with Dharma, right? Correct. But that, that Dharma might be in service, but it might also be in service of obtaining your own means or in service mm -hmm. of pleasure, right? There's mm -hmm. the four aims and karma specifically refers to service to others. Is that kind of a, a good way of, yeah, of describing it? Okay. Yeah, I love absolutely. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Well, this was super inspiring conversation. I really, really loved hearing your story. And I know that my listeners are going to love it too. If they want to find out more about you, where should they go? Yeah. So activepeaceyoga.com is where you can find out about the practice and see what public offerings I have. Um, oh, Reggie Global on the Insta. Oh, Reggie Global is like the adventures of Black Hippie, like, because my life is pretty wild. Um, but yeah, so www.activepeaceyoga.com, Oh, Reggie Global, Adventures of Black Hippie, Active Peace Yoga is the practice-oriented handle. Fantastic. Thank you, Reggie. Absolutely. Yoga teachers tend to be diligent students. We sign up for training after training, in hopes of finally feeling good enough and knowing enough to do these beautiful teachings justice. But there are qualities of a potent teacher that you can't learn with your mind. You have to feel and experience them with your body. Some people like Reggie show up in a way that gives other people permission to do the same. There's this sense of worthiness that I think we all want to pass along to our students but we really cannot do that if we don't feel it ourselves. That's where practice comes in. At its best, our yoga practice can connect us to the part of ourselves that's already whole, complete, and unbroken. When we're in touch with that essence, there's nothing to prove. There's no reason to doubt our worthiness to share these teachings that have made such an impact in our own lives. I love how Reggie shares the importance of his practice in supporting him to show up fully in the world. Last year really brought home how unpredictable life can be. There's always going to be unexpected twists and turns. There'll be great joy and there'll be deep suffering for all of us. Our practice can be the constant that keeps us connected through it all. Even more than teaching yoga, thank you for practicing. Thank you for your commitment to knowing yourself on multiple levels so that you can walk through this world more skillfully and inspire others to do the same.